Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast presented by First Federal Bank. It's Wednesday, September 14th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. What a way to open the home schedule for the Chiefs. Thursday night football against the L.A. Chargers in an AFC West showdown. We've got plenty to say about the game. First, with our crew of Herbie T.O.P., Jesse Newell, and Sam McDowell, we talk about the keys to the game from a Chiefs perspective. And then we get an L.A. Chargers angle from Ryan Dirud, who covers the Los Angeles football scene. He's the founder of the L.A. Football Network and partners with Believe in L.A. Football. We've got plenty to say about Thursday Night Football. Let's get started. Hey, good morning from Kansas City. Welcome to Sportsbeat Live, presented by First Federal Bank. This is our weekly conversation about the Kansas City Chiefs with the folks in the media who know them best and with you. Please send us questions, comments. Let's talk about Chiefs Chargers on Thursday night. We'll talk about Chiefs Cardinals from last Sunday. A lot to talk about with the Chiefs. we got Sam McDowell, Herbie Teope, and Jesse Newell here with us. Good to see everybody. Hey, um, as we often do, not always, but often do, uh, we start with some injuries, uh, but it's kind of significant this week. Um, you know, when we were talking after the game on Sunday, we, you know, Andy Reid read off the the injuries, and you know, it's like, okay, you know, we we knew about Harrison Butker and and, and Trent McDuffie, but but uh, the list uh, has expanded, and there are actually eight players on the first injury uh, report this week. But anyway, the, the Butker and the McDuffie injuries seem to be the most significant. Herbie, why don't you take us through where things stand now with both of those players? Yeah, Harrison Butker, obviously with the left ankle sprain. He didn't practice on Tuesday, and the Chiefs do have backup plans. They did sign uh, a kicker, Danny Amendola, uh, to – hold up, is it Danny Amendola? Why am I getting <laughs> Danny Amendola? That's a wide receiver. But his last name, Matt Amendola. Matt. They signed a, a kicker to the practice squad, and he was observed on the practice field on Tuesday. So he's their plan B. You know, plan C, obviously, would be safety Justin Reed, but I don't think they're going to go that route. Uh, Andy Reid kind of mentioned that, you know, they've been through this before, and they have. If you remember last year against the Pittsburgh Steelers, when Harrison Butker and Tommy Townsend landed on the COVID-19 list, they signed a couple of specialists. So they've been through an emergency-type kicker situation before. But Butker, you know, I don't think he's going to play. You you, got to rest him up because he is a weapon. As for Trent McDuffie, uh, you know, Andy Reid came out Tuesday morning and said it'll be a struggle for him to play Thursday night. And then less than two hours later, they put him on injured reserve. So he is not going to play. Patrick Mahomes, that left wrist injury, no worries whatsoever. You know, Andy Reid said he's a full go. Patrick Mahomes kind of like downplayed it as well. Didn't receive treatment on it on Tuesday. So he should be a full go. The only player who was limited on Tuesday was guard Trey Smith. Of that large group that you mentioned, Blair, the rest of them were all full practices. That Trey Smith uh, situation is interesting. They're going to need, you know, full complement on the offensive line to combat the, uh, the the Chargers' pass rush, which is, as we saw last week against the Raiders, pretty ferocious. The addition of Khalil Mack to go with Joey Bosa. They got Derek Carr down six times and four uh, four and a half combined sacks for Mack and Bosa. So. That is absolutely one of the one of the keys to this game. Let's this injury thing though. Um, on the turf at uh, you know at State Farm Stadium or whatever the heck they're calling it now in Glendale, 
Uh, Andy Reid called him out, didn't he? Um, he was, uh, you could tell, not too pleased. We we saw the, the, the television cameras obviously caught the Butker foot plant uh, twist of his of his left ankle on the kickoff. I did not see the um, the Trent McDuffie hamstring injury, but it told that he slipped on the on the turf as well. That's that's a legitimate gripe Andy Reid has, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I asked him about that yesterday. So he, he did answer in saying that both of those were a result of the turf. Um, it wasn't, though, as he, he came forward with that information on his own. So I, I think maybe just temper that a little bit. But um, the Cardinals, you know, have training camp basically there on that field. I mean, they practice on that field. So I think at the start of the year, they anticipated it was going to be problematic because they have to resod it. When that happens, the sod just basically, I mean, this is going to be way too elementary, so I hope no landscapers are watching. Um, but it's basically like it's just not quite stuck to the ground yet, I mean, because it hasn't been in for long enough. So um, Steve Spagnola described Trent McDuffie's as, you know, it kind of gave way a little bit on him. And we all noticed McDuffie limping off, off the field, and it was clear across the other side of the field from where the play was. Um, so yeah, I mean, he wasn't even involved in a play and absolutely there's some frustration when two of your guys did everything right. I mean, you expect football is going to be a contact game that comes with injuries, but that's not why they're going to be missing two, two key players, um, to their outfit and a, a game that maybe by the end of the season, we're saying could, could have determined first place in the AFC West. Yep, yep. And as Brian says, the Arizona field was worse than Soldier Field in the pouring rain. And that's saying something. I've never seen as much water on a field as I did in that, uh, that 49ers-Bears game. That was amazing. They're, they're dreaming water off. Here, here's something interesting on Brian's comment. Um, I, I saw Pro Football Talk mention that the same company that sods the Arizona field is responsible for Soldier Field. So, <laughs> coincidence? Who knows? Interesting. Interesting. Well, Soldier Field held up. Uh, State Farm's field did not. Um, okay, well, so th that opener does impact this game Mc Mc with McDuffie out and the Chiefs facing Justin Herbert and their, um, their passing game. Herbert, three touchdowns, no picks against the Raiders. Uh, but Keenan Allen injured uh, for, for the Chargers in that game. And I was speaking with somebody uh, from from Los Angeles that you'll actually hear at the end of this podcast uh, saying that uh, Allen is about 95% not available for the Chiefs. So we'll, we'll see about that. But Jesse, let's let's look at this game uh, on, on Thursday night from uh, from a strategic standpoint. Let's let's just talk about some of the things that uh, first of all, that the Chiefs have to do offensively to attack uh LA and and then we'll turn it around and, and talk about the Chiefs defense but hard to hard to be better on offense than the Chiefs were against the Cardinals and as much as we love what Patrick Mahomes did uh, with, with five touchdown passes uh, I think you were as impressed with what they did on the ground and that may play into the Chiefs favor on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to sort of come back to this, isn't it, with the Chiefs, which is if you look at them and sort of one thing that they do really well is their offensive line, they maul people. I mean, they get out, especially in the power run game. We saw some of this against Arizona when they have pulling guards or a guy like Noah Gray who blocked very well, Travis Kelsey blocked well downfield. They can clear out some holes, and 
Um, if you even look at some of the, you know, football, pro football focus grades in there, the running backs for the Chiefs did not grade that great, but it doesn't matter when you have these huge holes in the running game. And the Chargers, you know, Brandon Staley has been pretty honest and open about this with what they do defensively. They're going to give up running plays. I mean, that they, for the most part, this is a, a game now where you have to stop the pass. And so the Chargers sort of sell out to stop the pass. So did it last year. They didn't really, um, you know, patch too many holes defensively. So for the Chiefs, I think it's about, you know, for one, not getting behind because if you get behind, it's, you know, game on for Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack and just having to pin their ears back and go after Mahomes. But I think it is about remaining patient with the run game and, and letting your guys do what they can do. And again, this is part of sort of the collective mindset for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes when you come to a game is to not always have to have the big play, not always have to have the home run but sort of remain patient with the game plan. And I think that's the biggest strength that these Chiefs have. If you look at some of the, the blocking measures out there, the Chiefs offensive line had the best run blocking of any team in week one, and it really wasn't close. So if they can continue that. I think that's the biggest advantage they have in this game. That, that doesn't, that's not flashy. That's not going to create a lot of headlines. It's not going to you know be part of the billboard that says Mahomes versus Herbert. But I do think it's one of the, the key areas of this game is if the Chiefs can – remain close, not get behind, and then just kind of stick to this game plan. I think there's holes to be had against the Chargers defense, and I don't think that they mind uh, giving up those plays. And if that happens, then the Chiefs could have a big advantage there and could show the same sort of things they did against Arizona where they gassed them for some big running plays. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite stats from that first game sort of under the radar was uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire on the, was it the second time he carried the ball, went for 18 yards and his longest run from scrimmage last season was 17 yards. And, um, and then turns out, you know, I know a lot of it was in garbage time, but Isaiah Pacheco ends up with 60 yards. He's the Chiefs leading rusher in, in that game. Chiefs went for about 120 or so on the ground. So just kind of had their way offensively with with the Cardinals, who thought uh, thought it was a good idea to blitz uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Sam, I uh, I'm not sure what scouting report uh, offered that piece of uh, advice to uh, to to Arizona, but uh, I, I I don't think that we're going to see the Chargers blitz 54 percent of the snaps on Thursday. I don't think we're going to see any team ever in Patrick Mahomes' career blitz 54% of the time again. Um, you're right, Blair. I don't know where they got those that idea because every statistic tells you not to blitz this guy, to rush three rather than rushing five, basically. Um, the Chargers are not the extreme, though, of the team that just, like, never blitzes. Like, they came after Mahomes 26% of the time last year, which is still a, a high number compared to what he usually sees just in the low teens. I think that all they have to do, though, is look at their own numbers against Patrick Mahomes last year. You know, I think he had, I put it in today's column, but it was around 83 rating um, whenever the Chargers only rushed three or four against him last year. When they blitzed him on those 26 dropbacks, I think he threw 24 times on the 26 dropbacks, two sacks. His rating was 123. I mean, he even tore up their blitz. And the whole reason you get Cleo Mack is so you don't have to bring extra guys. And so to me, the, I don't, I, I think that the Chargers are, are going to lower that number based off what the Cardinals showed them. You know, what's always been interesting to me is were teams going to defend the Kansas City Chiefs differently than they did last year? The first team did, but I think because the first team did, the next 16 will not. 
<laughs> I think if anything, when we look at the blitz that the Arizona Cardinals did, I think that's a product of not having J.J. Watt. They were also down two cornerbacks. So, you know, it, conventional wisdom is if you don't have an elite pass rusher and you're down on the pass defense, you got to find some way to generate pressure. Obviously, that backfired like crazy against Vance Joseph, but the Chargers won't have that issue with two healthy stud elite pass rushers and one of them Khalil Mack a former NFL defensive player of the year is capable of taking over a game and so the Chargers aren't going to be blitzing like crazy in this game I absolutely agree with Herbie on that one just when they had so many injuries I think it was sort of a high variance sort of move by Vance Joseph to basically say hey if you sit back here and you get no pass rush because you don't trust those guys that are the backups you got to try to create one or two big plays against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and so they didn't do it. You know, obviously there was no pick six. There was no fumble recovery that made a difference, even though Juju Smith-Schuster did give up one in that game. But I think that was sort of the thought going in is, uh, as I think Patrick said to you, Sam, that the Cardinals were going to do them. And that's what they did in that game. They were hoping for the best. But when you kind of your back is up against the wall, they decided to kind of come out firing. And you're right. The Chargers are not in that desperate spot. I like Brian's comment toward the bottom. I wrote about this this week about the tight ends. This could be something that we see from the Chiefs' big picture. This is more of an indication of what we talked about, because, you know, if we, if we look at these two high shells, I mean, Brandon Staley, the coach of the chargers, he started this movement with the the Rams. I mean, he's the guy that was like on the forefront of this, along with Vic Fangio, the two guys that said, Hey, put a bunch of guys in coverage and make teams kind of methodically beat you down the field. So we definitely could see this. And, and the bills faced the same sort of thing last year. And part of what they did was they got bigger personnel on the field. If you're going to put small guys out there, they put more of a fullback out there. They started running the football. For the Chiefs, maybe the counter to that is what we saw a little bit in that first game, which was Noah Gray, Joey Fort- Jody Fortson, get more tight ends on the field. Again, get bigger uh, out there against smaller guys and see if you can counter it that way, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. So a lot of offensive creativity in that first game for the Chiefs. They've obviously been preparing for the Chargers for a long time now, but uh, that is kind of one of those sort of cat and mouse games we need to continue to monitor is if the Chiefs go big when other teams go small, that's one way to counter these two high looks. The Chargers are for sure going to throw that against them. Yeah, and on the on the going big, to continue that thought. I mean, the the wide receivers now are bigger uh, for, for the Chiefs as well. So not only can you see twelve and thirteen personnel, but also Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You can just have bigger players at that position that can work to the Chiefs' advantage. Blair, I love it that you said twelve and thirteen personnel. You know, I'm That's sitting a, over here. It's the first time it's ever come out of my mouth, Kirby, and it's all because it's a salute to you. Hey, we broke down that that big play action pass that Patrick Mahomes had. By the way, that was out of 13. That had three tight ends on the field. Noah Gray left in as a blocker. Again, he could have gone out for a route, but instead was held in as a blocker. Jody Fortson actually ran the rub route that was able to uh, make sure that Travis Kelsey didn't get, uh, you know, hit at the line of scrimmage or collisioned and sent somewhere else. And so uh, both of those tight ends helped create the opening for Travis Kelsey on the other end. And obviously you need a a Hall of Fame throw from Patrick Mahomes to complete a 35-yard pass. But the Chiefs went more to that. And uh, again, the bigger personnel and going under center, that gives a little bit, a few more options for the Chiefs as well. When you turn around, turn your back to the defense and show a football to them, it looks like a run play. And as many times as you want to go in film session and say, hey, the Chiefs are not going to run it under center, you still see a, a quarterback extend his arm to give the football and you think maybe this is a run. And that's what happened with, with uh, that play with Arizona. The linebacker took about a half step forward. It was enough to, to make that window for the Travis Kelsey catch. And sure enough, the Chiefs got 35 uh, yards down the field so it'll be uh, interesting to track moving forward how much more of this bigger personnel under center sort of stuff the Chiefs run and if they can get some play action off that like they did against Arizona 
I love the breakdown that you did of that play that you're talking about, Jesse. Look for it on YouTube. Jesse, who, who, were, you, who were you discussing that with? Yeah, Brett Tabo. He uh, actually, uh, a former offensive coordinator in high school, he actually wrote the Chiefs book this offseason. I encourage people to go check out. It's called Unpacking Greatness. But he charted every single third down play last year for the Chiefs. The Chiefs had a historic year when it came to third downs, over 50% conversion rate. So uh, he's as good as anybody when knowing about the scheming up of it. And uh, yeah, he went over and broke down that film. And very interesting, some of the things that happened on these plays that we all get wowed by the Patrick Mahomes throw, but a lot of other things that happened, including those two tight ends. Uh, kind of contributing on that play and making sure that Travis Kelsey got open. Yeah, very cool breakdown. Okay, let's let's take a break here. Uh, let's hear from First Federal Bank. When we come back, I want to talk about what the Chiefs have to do to stop Justin Herbert and the Chargers' offense. When I bought my first home, I was searching for listings and negotiating all on my own. Now I'm back in the housing market, and I could not imagine doing that again. But then I found First Federal Bank of Kansas City's expert loan advisors at ffbkc.com. They were kind, knowledgeable, and available 24-7. My loan advisor answered my questions and helped me feel confident all the way through closing. I trust First Federal Bank because they understand banking is personal. Apply today for a home loan at ffbkc.com homes. First Federal Bank of Kansas City. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. We're back on Sportsbeat Live talking Chiefs with you and with Herbie Tiope, Sam McDowell, and Jesse Newell, Chiefs Chargers on Thursday night football. Interesting that if, listen, if you're in Kansas City and you don't have Amazon Prime, you watch that game on Channel 41. But if you're not in Kansas City or in L, I assume it's on in LA on a, on a network there as well. And I know a lot of our viewers are not in Kansas City or LA. Got to have Amazon Prime to get this Chiefs-Chargers game. Um, maybe we should have had Pete Gradhoff on today to explain all this, but it's interesting. This is um, kind of a, a, you know, the future of streaming NFL games. It begins Thursday night. The rumor is that Sam McDowell can walk us through this process because the rumor is he has about six or seven packages come to his house every day. A, a very good Amazon Prime or customer here. Is that true, Sam? It's, it's pretty easy. You download the app and subscribe to Amazon Prime. Um, and like Blair said, it's the, it's the future. So if, if you're complaining and, and trying to skip this season, you, you better get on board because this is where it's going. See, I was kind of hoping for a Sam explanation, kind of in the vein of Vahe explaining expense reports. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we, we don't have that. So. <laughs> You're uh, you're giving me PTSD, uh, Blair, about uh, <laughs> these expense reports with Vahe. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, Chargers, they look pretty good against the Raiders. Uh, we, we talked early in the first half of the show about how the Chiefs may be able, may be able to exploit Chiefs or uh, Chargers rushing defense, which ranked pretty low in the NFL last year. Chargers only rushed for 64 yards, but had a pretty good yards per carry in that game. And of course they were, they had to kind of change their game plan when they fell behind and they, they played from behind almost the entire game, little rally at the end, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Chargers win that game 24 19. Um, Herbert, great, really good game, almost 300 yards passing. I think he just came up short of 300 yards and uh, three touchdowns, no picks loses Keenan Allen to an injury. It appears but um, uh, but this is a dangerous uh, Chargers offense, dangerous Chargers team coming into Kansas City. And one thing we know about the Chargers at Arrowhead Stadium is they're not intimidated. They they handle the atmosphere, uh, the setting as well as any team. They're the only team 
in the NFL to have defeated the Chiefs twice in each of the or defeated the teams twice the past two years. One on both of their visits to Arrowhead, of course, one of them was uh, in 2020 when the when the Chiefs were playing reserves because they already had their playoff spot clinched. But they came into Arrowhead last year and put a kind of a whooping on the Chiefs, who lost four turnovers in that game uh, and lost 30 to 24. And to, and if you want to stretch it back to 2018, pre Herbert and, and pre Brandon Staley. Chargers have won three of the last four at Arrowhead Stadium. So what are some of the keys here for the Chiefs defense? Herbie, we'll start with you. What, um, uh, you know, without McDuffie, they're going to have to play. Uh, rookies are going to have to uh, play a big role in the, in the secondary. And if, if you're the Chargers, aren't you, aren't you game planning to, to attack rookie cornerbacks? Yeah, most professional quarterbacks will do that, especially when they know that a rookie is out there. You know, without Trent McDuffie, you know, he was a rookie, but he was a first-round pick. The Chiefs are going to be relying on Jalen Watson and Justin, uh, Joshua Williams to help bolster that group there alongside Legereus Sneed and Rashad Fenton. You bring up a very good point about Justin Herbert. The Chiefs own the all-time series, but this isn't as close, you know, it isn't as lopsided as we'd like to think over the last four games. Uh, in the last three games, the Chargers are 2-1 and one against the Chiefs. Justin Herbert is averaging 282 points per game uh, in that span. The Chargers are averaging 32 points per game against the Chiefs, while the Chiefs are only averaging, I believe, 26.3 points per game. So it's going to be close. It's going to be entertaining. But if you want to stop them, not having Keenan Allen there helps. But you got to get pressure on Justin Herbert. You got to be able to lock down his other receiver, Mike Williams. You got to be able to lock down that tight end, and you have to account for Austin Eckler. You know, when you when we talk about the Chargers' run game, they don't run it as much. But Eckler is an all-purpose guy, and he's hurt the Chiefs before in the past. So you got to contain all that. Eckler has hurt the Chiefs. It seems like every every time I write about uh, players to watch in a Chiefs Chargers game, I'm, I'm listing Austin Eckler on offense. But I didn't this time. The one the player that I that I said to keep an eye on for the Chargers was a wide receiver named DeAndre Carter. Now I had I had heard of DeAndre Carter before the season, but he, this is a guy that's um, kind of an overachiever. Played at a FCS school in college, was undrafted. He's been on four teams in, in four NFL seasons, but he really had a great training camp for the Chargers and in game one catches three passes, including a touchdown. He's only 5'8". He, he returns punts as well, but here's a guy that's um, really kind of a spark plug player for for the Chargers. And I imagine he'll, um, you know, he'll, he could be a, a, a nemesis uh, type of wide receiver. We'll, we'll see what kind of game he has against the Chiefs. Um Justin Herbert, in in the in the grand scheme of things, Sam, he's um, you know he, he, you got to consider him one of the top three or four quarterbacks, at least in the AFC, don't you? Yeah, I mean, if I'm redrafting the NFL, I think Herbert goes in the top five picks. I I just think he's fantastic. I have since that first time we saw him play against the Chiefs, which was his first career start. Yeah. Um, I do think that their key matchup is going to be Mike Williams because the Chiefs, as we know, don't rotate their cornerbacks to fit to specific wide receivers. And so the Chargers can get Mike Williams the matchup they want to get him. And, you know, if I, I, I've said this a lot, but if, if I was Steve Spagnuolo, I'd be inclined to, to uh, move Legereus Sneed on the outside for this game, specifically because I'm missing Trent McDuffie. Um, I know that Sneed also made a huge impact on the inside. 
last week. Well, guess what? He's their best cornerback. He tends to make an impact wherever he's lined up. Um, but I, I, Mike Williams had, was pretty quiet last week against the Raiders. Uh, but I, I just think the matchup shows that that's going to be the key for the Chiefs. Like if they shut down Mike Williams with Keenan Allen out of the game, and Keenan Allen has torn up the Chiefs in the past, yep. um, then I can't, I can't see how the Chargers win this game. But I don't think that they do shut down Mike Williams. I think he's going to have a big day because he's got to have a big day. And I think Herbert's going to look his way often. He's willing to throw the tight windows. He's willing to give his guys a chance. Um, so to me, that it's all going to come down to whether or not the Chiefs rookie cornerbacks can defend one of the better receivers in the NFL. Yeah, I'll counter this just a little bit here. Sam, I think part of what makes Herbert so dangerous, and there was an offseason story about this, I think is at the ringer that was really good, but it's his processing and how he can get to his third, fourth, fifth reads very quickly and kind of read the game in that way. And so that's why there are these receivers that could be dangerous, kind of in the same way that Mahomes made Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS and Sky Moore and McCole Hardman all dangerous against Arizona. So um, when you're talking about shifting things up and doing things differently, uh, it's Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus would tell us that cornerback play is a weak link system, basically. It means that if you have a weak link, that is bad. You know what I mean? Like you could have three guys doing their job, but if the fourth guy is not doing his job, then that's something you can get exposed for. And especially with a guy like Herbert, you know, we saw some openings and Tony Romo was all over this on the, the chiefs broadcast against Arizona. But uh, that fourth and two play was a big example where Kyler Murray had his guy wide open. The play was schemed beautifully, perfectly, whatever you want to call it. And Kyler Murray just didn't throw it to the guy. And so that's not going to happen against Justin Herbert. Like we talked about that Patrick Mahomes tight window throw he made to Travis Kelsey. That's the same sort of thing that Justin Herbert's going to do. Sometimes you'll have good coverage. He'll beat it anyway. But for the Chiefs, you know, you have to eliminate the weak links here. And I'd say the encouraging part so far, again, you knock on wood for this if you're a Chiefs fan, is that Jalen Watson has had amazing coverage so far. I mean, the run stuffing or the, the run support has not always been there for him but he is stuck like glue to receivers so far. So if that continues, that's great news for the Chiefs. Again, the question mark, though, is is there one play where he gets beat? Is there one play he gets beat down the field? Is, is this going to hold up against a better team in the Chargers than the teams they've faced so far? So um, we'll see how that all plays out. But I think, Herbert, what makes him dangerous is that, yes, it's bad for Keenan Allen to not be in there for the Chargers, but he can make these other dudes look good because he's going to get to second, third, and fourth read. You better be sound on all of those levels. Do want to point out that Watson has faced the Chicago Bears, who probably have the worst wide receiving core in the NFL, and the Cardinals without DeAndre Hopkins. And so Mike Williams, if if the Chargers want that matchup, they can get that matchup on Watson. And he's not faced a guy like that yet. Totally agree. And again, so far the signs have been good. That's why this one's different. You know, and this one, this one is a different matchup, different prime time, all those sorts of things. And we heard Andy Reid even talk about it. He said, hey. Uh, there's going to be hiccups with the secondary. And I asked him, you know, early last week, I said, well, how do you feel about your secondary going? And he goes, well, you know, there's going to be growing pains, that sort of thing. The Chiefs didn't really experience those against Arizona. So again, an encouraging start for the team. This is a different matchup. And you just sort of hold your breath, your Chiefs Spagnuolo, and hope that, you know, rookie mistakes don't cost you 14, 21 points against the Chargers because uh, we definitely could envision a scenario where that happens. Let me throw a couple of ideas out to you guys. Um, based on last year's outcomes in this series. The Chiefs lost to the Chargers at Arrowhead because they turned it over four times. They were minus four in, in the turnover ratio. Um, one of those was the, the uh, Mahomes pass to Marcus Kemp that went off his shoulder. And what Marcus Kemp was doing at the game, in the game, he was wide open and he just you know, bounced off his body for an interception in the red zone. 
And the next turnover was Tyree Kill getting the ball stripped from him after a reception also in the red zone. The Chiefs turned it over on their first three possessions, ended up losing the game 30-24. to 24. And then when they're in the return game at, uh, at L.A., that was the fourth down decision game by, by Brandon Staley, where he kept going for it on fourth down, and the Chiefs turned him away almost every time. So uh, any lessons to be learned from, from either of those? Uh, don't turn the ball over. There's lesson number one. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. But does Brandon Staley change his approach uh, because of the failures in, uh, on, on fourth down in, at SoFi last year? He punted on a fourth and two from midfield last week against the Raiders. I'm wondering if the Chiefs offense is so good you can't afford to do something like that. And we'll see Staley with, uh, you know, become a, you know, one of those riverboat gambler uh, decisions again. Sam, what do you think? Well, I, I think what gets lost in the Staley decisions last year is he made an even tougher decision in the first game that basically cleansed the Chargers that game. I mean, they were in field goal range in a tie game late in the fourth quarter and went for it and got down to what was like the three-yard line. Um, so it's you know it's a system that works. You don't go for it because it works every time. You go for it because it works more often than not. It puts the odds in your favor more often than not. And so if you're going to do it, the only way to do it is to stick with it 100% of the time, like go with the best odds every time. If you only pick and choose your spots, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of the whole process. So the question would, would not be, you know, whether or not um, he's going to do it differently against the Chiefs, but whether or not he like went through this offseason mold in his mind that, hey, that didn't work for me last year. Let me let me go a different route. There are coaches that go for it more often than Brandon Staley does when they should go for it, which is one of the interesting things about last year. I remember being in that press box in Los Angeles talking to some members of the Chiefs front office who were just like, well, that's what he does. Um, But I I think what was different about some of those decisions he made last year where they were the goal-to-go situations, those are more difficult to go for it because the, the back end of the secondary is right there. I mean, you don't have all the space on the field to work with. And though, if he made any mistakes, it was, it was you know, the fourth and three or four or five when you've got goal, goal to go. That's a lot different than having midfield and having the full length of the field to work with. What people don't consider on that one, though, Sam, and it depends on the time of game. If it's in the end of half, it's different. But the field position that you give the other team, because if the team starts at its three-yard line, usually – you are still, as the defense, expected to score before the other team does. So that has to be factored in as well. But I think poor Blair is asking three poker players uh, about sort of process over results thinking. So I'm, I'm not sure that we're going to get too far on this discussion. But it is interesting. I read the Football Outsiders preview from the Chargers and Brandon Staley's decisions. And even they were kind of mentioning, like, he is on the verge of even what we would suggest. So the bottom line is this. To me, it's like blackjack. You have the little sheet that you know that is going to get you as close as you can to beating the house, right? Okay, then you sit down, and you've got 16, and the dealer's showing a 10. Oh, I shouldn't hit this time because I'm feeling it. Or I'm, No, no, you came into the casino. You decided this is what you were going to do. You have the little sheet in front of you, and that's what Brand Staley's doing. He's trying to pregame, think of the process, and not worry about the result, and think, I might gain over the course of the season a 3% edge, 5% edge, whatever the, the case may be. But I've made that decision before I go into the game so that when it happens in the game, it, it's not a decision. It, it's something you need hours to think about before rather than seconds to think about in the moment. So I think his process is sound here. And again, I, as Sam mentioned, I think we do need to take in all the results of this 
uh, when, when we talk about his fourth down decisions because it has won them games just as it has, you know, potentially lost them games, as many people would tell you. But I think that's an offseason discussion that he has to come to uh, terms with. And then from there, you make the decision on the field based off of what you saw before. Jesse brings up the poker angle, and here's something that some people, especially folks in Los Angeles, probably know about head coach Brandon Staley. When the Chargers hired him, he did an interview with Pat McAfee. Okay, Everyone listens and watches the Pat McAfee show, and he admitted that Rounders, that, that poker cult movie, helped shape him when he was in college. So when you think about that, <laughs> and you start seeing how he gambles so much on fourth down, to me, it's kind of like chasing that one outer on a straight flush draw. The payout is incredible, but if you don't hit it, hey, you, you kind of you're kind of like sucking because your chips are gone. But you know, when he goes for the fourth downs, that's what I kind of like think about that. But Sam is absolutely correct. That game in Los Angeles, when they were down there on fourth and goal, if he kicks a field goal, the Chargers have now won three straight against the Chiefs, and it doesn't go to overtime. But it's that gambler in him. So maybe rounders maybe taught him some good habits and bad habits. Hey, and if he doesn't, if he kicks a field goal in the first possession, they don't lose the tight end for the game. So um, uh, they had suffered the injury there on, on, on that fourth down play. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Ryan Dirud is founder of the LA Football Network and partners with the podcast group Believe in LA Football. He was kind enough to join me in a conversation about the Chiefs Chargers game. He knows the LA football scene as well as anyone. Let's hear what he had to say about Chiefs Chargers. We're back on Sports Beat KC. I thought we'd wrap it up today by getting some LA Chargers perspective. We just spent the first half hour talking Chiefs. Let's now talk Chargers with Ryan Dirud. He is the founder of the LA Football Network, and he is part of the Believe, I don't know what to call it, but conglomerate, Believe in LA Football. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing okay. Hey, Blair. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, excited to be on and talking about this great upcoming game, which uh, should be the game of the week, probably game of the week every week they play uh, every season. So uh, excited to get into it, but thanks for having me on. Yeah, it, it has been an interesting series uh, in the Patrick Mahomes era in that um, the Chiefs have lost three of the four games at Arrowhead Stadium uh, to the L.A. Chargers. Now, Mahomes didn't play in one of them. Mm -hmm. And and I got to think here, have they always been the L.A. Chargers uh, during that time? I think so. Um, I could be wrong. But it, it, they've always been the Chargers. And Justin Herbert's won both of his starts in um, in Kansas City. So this is not going to be a team uh, lacking for confidence after the opening game went over the, over the Raiders and what they've done at Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a really good matchup when you look at, obviously, the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, two of the – I think both are top three in the NFL. I, I would put Herbert that high already. 
uh, watching him in person last week against the Raiders and and seeing some some of those pinpoint throws and just the velocity that he has is very similar to like Mahomes. So, but yeah, you hit it. I mean, this series is great. Similarly enough, the Chargers have seemed to play well in Arrowhead and the Chiefs seem to win in LA always. So it's kind of the, the there's really no home field advantage when these two teams meet, it seems like. Right. No, that's right. And that's that's what helps make it fun and, and kind of difficult to really get a handle on. Both teams played so well in week one. But I want to go back before the season start and what the Chargers did in the offseason. Uh, pretty impressive. Everybody, in, really, everybody in the division um, that uh, made some kind of big move, a trade or a free mm-hmm. agent signing. And, and the Chargers certainly were part of that. And paid off right away, didn't it, with Khalil Mack and his game against the Raiders in, in week one. So uh, that this was a, a situation where the Chargers are going all in, are they not? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, all, you mentioned Khalil Mack and getting J.C. Jackson and shoring up the interior defensive line with Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Jones and, you know, re-signing their guys, which in the past they've kind of let walk, but they re-signed Mike Williams to a big contract. And um yeah, I mean, they've really did a lot of good things this offseason that, you know, I don't want to say Tom Telesco has done terrible things in previous offseasons, but we've never seen them truly go all in in terms of money spent and also player acquisition pre-draft. And so this was a really fun offseason to see them do that. And you, you hear the, I remember when the Cleo Mack trade broke and I, I just assumed it was the Rams because that's what the LA Rams do. They're always in the news with the trades, with the signings, with the, you know, trading away draft picks. And so I was like, Oh wait, the chargers did it in this, the chargers are getting in the news now. And, and then they go sign JC Jackson, the number one, you know, corner on the market as well. So it's been fun to see, but obviously it paid dividends last week. Uh, JC Jackson didn't play. They're hoping he will play this Thursday, still kind of a day to day with, after the little ankle surgery he had. Um, but you know, Cleo Mack was as good as advertised. It was fun because Staley was asked afterwards, you know, were you surprised by his performance? And he basically said, I'm just glad you guys got to see what we see every day. Like, this is what Khalil is. This is what he's been since, remember, Staley coached him in Chicago. This is how he's always been. And now you, you know, LA can see how great of an acquisition this was. So, but it's been a fun offseason to see. And now we get to actually see it unfold. Do you think that the way they shaped their offseason was with the Chiefs in mind? Yeah, I mean, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, but the AFC West in general, since Mahomes has been drafted, I mean, even before Mahomes has been drafted, just because they have they were even good before that, with they just couldn't really get one of the playoffs, but they were still good within the division. And it's like the other three teams have always been kind of, I don't know if playing catch-up is the right way, but they've roster-constructed based on what how to stop the Chiefs, how to slow them down, especially with Mahomes. So yeah, I mean, you look at who they have to go up against, and, and this, well, I'm trying to think... When they got J.C. Jackson, I think that was was that right before the Broncos got Russ. I can't remember for sure. It could have been right after, but but at the time it was really it was the Chiefs who everyone was chasing. And then then Russ goes to Denver, then Devontae Adams goes to Raiders. So then it's okay. Well, now we got to prepare for all the teams in a certain way and build. But yeah, to answer your question, I think certainly there was some justification based on what the Chiefs are good at, what they do, and saying we need more pass rush to get after Mahomes, and we need guys that can slow down their receivers, and obviously now no more Tyreek Hill, but still got speed out there, still got Travis Kelsey. Uh, I mean, you guys know the litany of weapons you guys have, so I think definitely that that went into the thought process to some extent. Right, and while the West uh, AFC West teams were making those acquisitions, you mentioned Tyreek Hill left, uh, traded to the Dolphins, and Tyron Matthew not returned. Uh, mm-hmm. All pro safety for each of the last or pro bowl safety, I should say for each of the last three years. So nobody had bigger losses than the chiefs. And yet in the opening game, they, 
looked like they hadn't missed a beat, uh, being the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how prepared the Cardinals were to play that game, <laughs> but uh, uh, but the Chiefs looked terrific. And I watched highlights of, of uh, Raiders Chargers. Uh, loved what I saw from the defense. Uh, Khalil Mack making the, getting the sack on the basically the last snap for the Raiders, bringing down Derek Carr for his third one in the game. How many picks in that game for the for the Chargers? Was it three? Three picks. So it's uh, I I tweeted out during the game that Derek Carr now has one less interception in one game than Aaron Rodgers had all of last year. <laughs> Devonte Adams, former quarterback. So, <laughs> oh man, so. Okay, um, and you mentioned J.C. Jackson. We think he's going to play on on Thursday. Full disclosure: re- recording this on Tuesday afternoon. How about um, uh, how about what else on the injury report uh, for the Chargers? So I would say pretty unlikely, at least as of today, and so something changes that Keenan Allen will play, which is obviously a huge loss for the Chargers with a you know nursing a hamstring injury. It doesn't seem like it's as serious as they thought it may have been after the game. They were saying maybe four to six weeks he'd miss, uh, and now they've kind of pulled back and said no, it's looking better. But I think you know th- playing on a Thursday is a tough ask in that. So I would say if I'm a betting man, ninety five percent no Keenan Allen. Um, but outside of that, again, if they get JC back, uh, that'll be huge on the secondary front. And, you know, obviously the safeties are all intact with Derwin James, who looked like an all pro again in week one. Uh, he had the first sack of the game on, on a safety blitz and also in coverage allowed like six total yards. So he's playing at all pro level yet again. Um, the offensive line came away pretty unscathed. So outside of Keenan Allen and then the question mark of JC Jackson, Chargers look to be pretty healthy heading into Arrowhead. Yeah, with Allen out. Look, Mike Williams has had good games against the Chiefs in the past. And tell me a little bit about DeAndre Carter. That's, uh, um, you know, he's a guy whose name I had heard. I just don't, I didn't Mm -hmm. have much of a vision of him. And then I saw what he did on Sunday. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, he he kind of became the darling of this team, you know, walked on and and had a phenomenal training camp. I mean, we, we knew a weekend, there's no way this team could not keep him on the active roster with how good of a training camp he had. And then he did it in preseason as well. Obviously didn't really have Herbert throwing the ball, but still kind of showed out, but just a, you know, a really fast, good natural route runner. And once Keenan goes out, you know, he's wide receiver five on the, on the roster or the depth chart, if you will, but next man up mentality, Keenan goes out and he immediately gets in two snaps. He had two catches for 40 something yards. And then a few series later catches that nice touchdown grab. Uh, so a pretty good debut for the chargers got a game ball from Brandon Staley. Um, I don't think anyone would say he is Keenan Allen or he can replace Keenan Allen, but certainly is a very good route runner is a very good speed guy uh, that adds another dynamic to this, this offense. And when you pair him with Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, you know, Gerald Everett, who was another acquisition yeah. at tight end, who had a touchdown. I mean, Blair is funny. You look at the three touchdowns Justin Herbert threw. You get Horvath, the fullback, Gerald Everett, the signed tight end, and the undrafted uh, free agent signing in DeAndre Carter. So none of the big name guys got all the touchdowns. It was the unsung heroes, which is what you want to see from a team early on because you know the big name guys are going to produce eventually. That's pretty impressive. Okay, Ryan, let's let's wrap it up and give me a couple of keys to victory for the Chargers. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't think you can stop Mahomes, but obviously if you can slow him down. We saw against the Raiders, very one-dimensional. I, I know you said you watched the highlights, so it maybe didn't tell the whole story, but it was basically Derek Carr to, uh, to um, Devontae Adams, and that right. was about it. 17 really targets, yeah. Yeah, really didn't get much of the other receiver. I don't think Hunter Renfro had a catch till like the fourth quarter. Darren Waller, I think, finished with three catches, but they were very sparse. The running, They only ran the ball, I think, uh, 16 times total. 
Um, and so with the Chiefs now, obviously they have they're much better at spreading the ball around. But big key, I would say, is Derwin James on Travis Kelsey. That's going to be the big, you know, no Tyreek Hill. So he's obviously, I mean, you know better than I do, but he's the big number one guy. I mean, he could have argued, arguably been the number one guy even when Tyreek was there. So I think really the Derwin on Travis Kelsey is a big thing to watch. It's going to be shoring up the center of the line in, on defensively to really keep the ground game in check, which they did against the Raiders, which forced Derek Carr into those three interceptions. So they can do that. And then offensively, just really not get conservative. And you, the Chargers, especially with Brandon Staley, have never done that against the Chiefs. They always kind of play with that almost like a chip on their shoulder, aggressive. We know about the fourth down calls or whatnot. But last week, you know, when they were up 24 to, to 10 or 24 to 13, whatever, Joe, Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator, did get a little conservative in play calling and kind of pulled the reins back a little bit. And, you know, the Chargers went scoreless essentially in the second half. So can't do that against the Chiefs, can't do that against Mahomes. Uh, and so I think that the keys of, of Derwin James on Travis Kelsey, the run defense with Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Jones in the middle, and in the offensive play calling, not getting conservative throughout the game are probably the three keys that I'm I'm really watching for a, a good opportunity for Herbert and the Chargers to win. Tell you what, I was I was at SoFi um, when the Chiefs were there a couple of years ago and Herbert was pressed into the starting duty for the first time with the Tyrod Taylor uh, injury. And mm. we were just, I, I remember thinking, well, this this is going to be kind of boring. Uh, this this won't be good at all. <laughs> and darn if he didn't almost lead them to victory in that game. The Chiefs needed, a, it was a 58-yard field goal by Harrison yep. Butker to win it. I don't think Harrison Butker is going to play this week, by the way. He's, he injured himself at, uh, at Arizona in, in the opening game. So um, yeah. could be a special team's advantage for the Chargers. Um, Ryan, I really enjoyed this. Good stuff. And um, let's let's do it again when the teams meet it, meet later in the season. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, having me on. And, you know, I don't know if I'll say good luck, but I hope you enjoy <laughs> the game and we sh it should be fun for all to watch. Hope it's a great one. That's for sure. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, George Howard, Jeff Rosen and Chris Fickett. A salute to our sponsor, First Federal Bank. Their website is ffbkc.com. Tip of the cap to our folks, Sam McDowell, Herbie Teope, and Jesse Newell, and to Ryan Dirud from the LA Football Network. Morning Sports Edition was 48 pages today, full of coverage of the Chiefs, the NFL, college football, the Royals almost getting no hit in Minnesota last night, golf, tennis, auto racing, everything in sports. I'm telling you, it is the best sports page going. Check it out at livestream.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC.